Hey, what's up, everybody? Matt from Rocky's War Room. And tonight, I am here to talk to Chris and possibly Nelson <laughs> about Mythic America. So let's get started. So what's up, Chris? What's going on, man? Oh, um, Matt. We uh, were expecting Nelson, and that's okay. Uh, the reason of him not being here, we're totally cool with, because uh, he has a store to kind of take care of. So it's a he, horrible reason. <laughs> I'll be giving him shit for days. There you go. Uh, he might be with us la uh, there later. I know I titled this Nelson. That's fine. You know, I uh, it, it, things happen and things like that. But I'm going to tell you something, Chris knows a heck of a lot about the game and where it started and things like that. So we'll pick his brain with that. But first, we have with us tonight the wardrobe, Todd. Hello. And not Jay. Howdy, folks. And possibly McMurray will be popping in, maybe uh, sending questions over the uh, texture, possibly. Um, and we are live, too, so we'll be having live comments from, uh, from guests. So the game is Mythic Americas. Mythic Americas is... I guess what did Nelson say it's like fourteen hundreds, or did he really give a, a year for that? No, that's about that's about, about it. proper, yeah. <laughs> um it's it's based off the the Warlords of Air One rule set, which I love, and which is Antares, which is bolt action plus is what I like to call it. And uh it gives it a an interesting spin on something that's never been done before. So uh I've, we've talked to John Russell about it, but I wanted to talk to you guys about it. <laughs> John knows a lot. But you guys, you guys are the origin of that. But first, we have a question to ask you. Chris. Okay, <laughs> you ready uh, for it? Yes, I'm ready. Go ahead. We ask all of our guests this when they first come on with us: If you had a superpower, what would it be, and what would your name be? Oh, jeez, you, you have to do that off of. Uh, well, works better that way. If if I had to have a superpower, it would be to control time. Mm. It would be to turn back time, mm. and my name if would I be. Could turn back time. <laughs> if I could find a way. Come on, do it, not Jay. Bring it. We've discussed it, Todd, already. Uh, and you would call me Father Time, which happens to be my nickname anyway at the club, and that's go. because I play so slowly. I happen to also be old, but, but I play so slowly that it, it drives the others crazy. Now, I, I refuse to take complete responsibility for that slow play because it's easy for my partners in, while we're playing to go slow and blame it on me, which kind of sucks, I think. But yeah. I, I accept it because I don't really give a crap. And that's a first to control time. That's the first time we had that. We had a lot of invisibility. We've had a lot of what? Austin uh, was second on the list. I have um, stretching, yeah. stretch, yeah, being, yes. be, being able to go grab a oh. beer or a tea and grab uh. a tea. That was Rick Priestley. <laughs> yeah, Rick Priestley. Yeah, Rick. Rick was the the stretch super stretch man. So he grab his tea in the other room. <laughs> well, anyway, so let's get do this. All right, Chris, we're gonna we're gonna rack your brain, sir. All right, I'm I'm here for that. Mythic Americas. Where did this begin? 
Where is what's the origin of Mythic Americas? If you if you can. Well, it, it, it it's interesting to talk about it from my perspective, right? Because the the origin for Mythic Americas uh, came from Nelson Martinez, who is the true um, idea man behind the whole thing, and he had been right. he had been um, working on and thinking and brewing Mythic Americas. Uh, for many, many years, some might say decades. Uh, he is um, from Venezuelan and um, South American heritage. So, you know, it, he had an affinity for um, for the myths of <clears throat> that area. You know, he'll, he'll tell you stories about his grandmother, uh, you know, growing up and his grandmother talking to him about uh, various yeah. tribes and things. Uh, None of which means anything to me because I'm from New Jersey. and But I am from a town called Sakasana, which is an Indian word. There so you that's kind of cool. But anyway, he uh, so yeah, he, he really wanted to see uh, the space of the natural uh, indigenous folks of, of America get explored in a gaming environment. And of course, you know, you, you, think of uh the different tribes or nations or peoples like um like the american indians now it's a broad broad category broad subject yeah. or you can talk about aztecs or mayans or incas all of which are are rep represented or are will be represented shortly in mythic americas but that's kind of where we um where we started so uh, Nelson has been working on books. He's got all this backstory, all this fluff that he had. And, um, you know, when we came to a, a, a an agreement with warlords to work together on this project, um, it, it was a lot of my responsibility to try and take that that fluff and those ideas and take the Warlords of Erewhon rule set and kind of merge them together, which was um, must have been an <laughs> undertaking. Yeah, but but uh, God, a labor of love, right? I mean, yeah. how much you don't get many opportunities in your life to to do that much fun? Because I mean, face it, I mean, we all love uh, you know the the American Indian if you're from North America, but we always you know for me anyway. The, the idea of Aztecs and Mayans and Incas always is um, like a mysterious, uh, cool history that I used to love to read about. You know, because and and you think about it from a from a myth perspective, it covers the gamut of fun things to think about, right? I mean, you could you could be talking about you get down into South America and into the Nazca, you could be talking about spaceships for for any you know for all you know. You could come up here into North America, you could be talking about Bigfoot and Sasquatch and all. Yeah. There's so many um, many myths that you can take advantage of, and it really really is a space that hasn't been explored you know, in the gaming realm. So I don't know. I, I, as I said, Nelson could give you a, a much more long winded uh, description about the history, but yeah. So, so Chris, what was your, um, what's your role in it then? Um, well, I was managing the team. Uh, I was, you know, kind of herding the cats on, on building out the factions. Um, 
when the dust settled and what what's going to get released in December um, is kind of like uh, Warlords of Erewhon version two, because mm-hmm. we added new um, mechanics on top of the existing Warlords of Erewhon game. Not anything earth shattering. Everything that that you you all the rules that you know of Warlords of Erewhon, if you know any. I don't know how if you've played it yet, but um, yeah, it's so, not uh, European theater of World War II, so I haven't played it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the next faction. Will be the uh, Tiger Tank faction. Actually. Oh, good, perfect. Yeah. Wow, all right, perfect. Um, I'm in. Exactly. Well, that's the myth. They're actually tigers with tanks on them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like water? Oh, never mind. Let's go. Let's talk about that. <laughs> so, you're, are you a developer then? It sounds like maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we, when we started down the journey, which I guess was May of 2019, you know, we, we were like, oh, okay, well, Warlords of Erewhon, we're going to, Warlords is going to share that rule set with us. And we, you know, Nelson's like, well, I have this huge backstory of, and, and all of us were excited about just, you know, the, the, the general faction ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, it was much broader when we first started. Um, you know, at, at, when we first started, uh, we actually had the Conquistadors as as a invading faction. Mm-hmm. Which, um, so that's that actually is, is kind of written, but did not get released. Um, it, it probably will get released, but in a different different, different setting. Yeah, different setting than what we're talking about right now. Yeah, um, Murray was really excited when he heard that there's going to be con- possibly conquistadors, and then we said, "Well, it's probably not going to be the first release." And he was like, "Oh no!" Well, and Nelson but, has a very, very grand vision on how this is going to go. You know, mm-hmm. he wants to see it. You know, essentially start distributing mythic everywhere. You know, mythic Europe, mythic Asia, mythic Africa, mm-hmm. um, and we haven't, you know, we haven't scratched the surface on a lot of that stuff, yeah, but yeah. It, it does give you a grander end goal, right? Um, I just I think get, so. I just want to get through Mythic Americas, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we got a we got a two year plan. Let's just get that released and yeah, uh, that's awesome. So, if I'm understanding it, if do you need to own Warlords of Erewhon, or is that this is going to be kind of a separate game? But um. You do not have to own Warlords of Erewhon. If you know how to play Warlords of Erewhon, it will be a, a, a quick uh, shift into the Mythic Americas. If you buy the initial um, box sets, you will get the Warlords of Erewhon slash Mythic America rule set, which is essentially the exact same rule set of Warlords of Erewhon. It was rewritten um, and, and not... Um, heavily rewritten but streamlined a little bit and we um we also added in the new mechanics for the mythic americas game hmm yeah that's cool so what's your what's your i don't know if, man sorry man i'm kind of like i'm taking over you know what's um what's so what's your background in gaming like what's what's your favorite era what's your what, what do you like to do for gaming wise huh that's a that's a, a very varied question i i mean i've been gaming for i don't know two or three decades i mean i started started 
in the seventies with D and D like so many of the gray haired gamers, you know? Um, but yeah, so it, it's gaming has always been a part of my life. Um, when I, I haven't always lived in New Jersey, I grew up in Pennsylvania, but when I moved up here and when I, interestingly enough, when I started to, uh, have a family, I wanted them to play D and D. And so I looked around for a local hobby shop to, um, to get some D and D materials, not having any idea whether it existed anymore or what the version was or any of that. And I, um, I stumbled into a local games shop and, uh, just really, really hit it off with the folks there. And of course, at that time they're playing everything, you know, they're playing, you know, all the games workshop stuff. They were playing confrontation, which was a game that I loved. Um, love that game. That love game the model. So awesome. Yeah. It was a great mechanic, the whole card stacking and everything. Um, you know, and, and so I, I, I am a sucker for a game and I am not afraid to go all in on games like, Blood Red Skies, which I'm, we just, you know, started this week, but I'll still end up buying like six or seven squads just because I'm an idiot that way. It's like the shiny <laughs> object thing. And now oh, yeah. I do, and, and Nelson is, does not help that problem because he's got a lot more money than me and he owns a game store. So, you know, he and I and our other compadre, Evil Joe, um, just run around from shiny object to shiny object. So I, if, if I were to say what game, I have played the most. Certainly the uh, D&D and the RPGs are one thing. I mean, that certainly goes the furthest back in my life. Mm -hmm. But I have, um, you know, I have 40K armies. I have Age of Sigmar armies. I've had multiples. I'm selling them off some. Um, I do have some uh, historical games, which is good because that's, you know, Warlord's thing for the mm -hmm. most part. Um, so yeah, it's a very varied past. We've played a lot of different games and we touch upon a lot of different games. I, I, it's a great opportunity for me being, I'm literally like two miles from the Mythico Studios mm. headquarters here. So I'm probably, I'm close to the Nelson to get to the store. Um, but it means I get exposed to so much, you know, yeah. and, and just the community itself. There's a lot of nice guys. And so I have played, you know, weird games. I've played privateer press games. I've played a multitude of um, different things. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that I was kind of curious about your, um, your fantasy background. It sounds like it's pretty well grounded in fantasy. So this is kind of just a natural way for you to go then really. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, it is it is based on history. You know, we try to make we have a, a good foundation of historical facts that we're starting from, and and so it, it isn't you know beyond what Warlord likes to you know their main bailiwick with with the historical stuff. Um, but what we like to do is explore the myths, right? the European myths, I, I, when you look at Lord of the Rings or some of the stuff that we all kind of think about with fantasy, it's all yeah. very European driven. Yeah. And, and that's great. I love it, you know, but no one's really explored the space of the, um, you know, the Americas and the myths that go behind them. So for us to start introducing, uh, you know, the, the religious or whatever myths that these uh, different people um, would have experienced or believed in is also a lot of fun. And, and part of the, part of what we end up doing is just spending a ton of research time trying to find, you know, a real, 
a real monster, right? What's a real monster that these people believed in that was part of their culture? Yeah. It's not easy. It, it, it's Especially you know, with peaceful nations, right? I mean, what's that? Peaceful nations that didn't really have something like that per yes. se. Well, you know. um, one of the factions, and I, I'm pretty sure I can talk about this stuff. It's pretty, um, it's pretty common knowledge on the discords and stuff right now. Is uh, the a faction that we're working on very closely right now is the Taino, right? So we wanted a, we wanted a Caribbean faction. Um, we actually had started off with um, it, it was named the Oppressed because we were going to kind of explore the whole um, slavery Haiti environment but from a time perspective it, it kind of fell outside of our timeline it was too modern um, mm -hmm. and it was too influenced by europeans um so we backed off but but discovered that you have this huge um uh, culture of the taino which is very actually i i, I don't want to sound out of, out of school but I, I i know there's a very big puerto rican um society for the Taino. They were a very peaceful people, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so they didn't have warriors, you know, they didn't have uh, per se, they were farmers. They were, you know, they were medicine people. Uh, so it's interesting to try and, and create a faction out of that. Um, that's still going to be able to stand up against Mayans who are going to be like these bloodthirsty Makawadu Leedles uh, wielding elite. <laughs> say that three times fast. <laughs> I can say it actually. Yeah. I, one of the things. One of the things I did. So it's Makawahuidal, and one of the things I did personally was I went through and took every one of the terms that we uh, that we had embedded into the game, and I went and found and and created a pronunciation chart for them. Because I, I like to be able to say it. And it's not easy because those languages are very kind of foreign to the way we speak. Yeah, uh, they are. Yeah. I mean, it's like, what's a quattle? I'm not even sure if I'm saying it correctly. It's a quattle. It's a quattle. Yeah. It's a yeah. <laughs> I got to tell you, as you were talking, it just kind of struck me that I don't know. I'm kind of glad that maybe the conquistadors are coming later because. You know, let's let's see how all the people interacted before Europeans came along. Because guess what? There was a lot of time before Europeans got so exactly. much different things that the whole world going on here that, you know. Well, you know, what's what's funny about that, Todd, is we're also looking at expanding the um, American Indian factions and the most common you know, things, the tropes that we think about for, for Indians are the Western Indians riding their horses and bows and things like that. And for the time period we're shooting for, they didn't even have horses. I mean, yeah. they were they were introduced, you know, from Europe. So, um, so it's cool. It's challenging, but it's cool. And then you start saying, okay, now we're looking at, at more ancient civilizations as opposed to the more modern Indian civilizations that we're all kind of accustomed to. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have the, we're all kind of in this, well, the three of us, not you, Chris, but we're in the kind of the St. Louis area and over in the Illinois side, there's the Cahokia Mounds. And those, I, I honestly knew nothing. I probably learned about them once in history class and forgot about it, but I went and visited them and they're pretty amazing what they built. Yeah. And you know, they're in the kind of the snake shape. There's some of the snake shapes, I think in Pennsylvania or something in there, but yeah. over there. But um, you're muted, Chris, or not Jay, but. Um, oh, 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 yeah. yeah. 
So I just I just think about the stories there, right? I mean, what's going on there that you build? Yeah. Huge, I mean, you just imagine huge snakes, or I don't I don't know the history, so I'm or the myth, so I'm going to stop there. But that was a giant meeting place, they think, you know, uh, with a temple at the top of it of some kind, but they don't know exactly what it was. It's just at one point they had studied the environment. They went back, you know, and studied the environment and the soils, and and uh, they discovered that. I did a report, by the way, <laughs> in high school about the Kogimans. Uh, but they studied the environment and with the soil content, and it was very rich in fertile ground at one point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's right there on the Mississippi, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And the Mississippi was much higher. You know, they yeah. said it was more more swamplands uh, swamp as you get closer, and, you know, it was very rich, uh, and it would self-sustain itself. And then when it, it just started drying and getting warmer, um, and it became unsustainable as far as feeding, you know, they think up to 10,000 people who used yes, to stay. It was there. a huge area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. the environment is the product of it going away, you know, especially when the river changed shape all the time because they didn't dredge it then, you know, so the river would move back and forth, mm -hmm. you know, so it's pretty amazing to read about, um, but the Cahokia mountains are, are pretty fascinating. Um, there's actually a couple documentaries out there you can watch that, that pretty much go, they go into that. There's also a ton of like research that's free that you can look up on it too. So, yeah. so you can imagine just being, you know, if you're out here in the Midwest, especially you just look at what it's like at night and you can just imagine the stories you could come up with myth and yeah. creatures and scary things that go up in the night and cause they're humans. So they're going to have all the same stories at all sure and the same like paranoias and fears that we that you have when you go camping you know i mean <laughs> i i grew up in you know pennsylvania and we would camp a lot and up into the poconos and into the mountains of uh of pa and when you're out there by yourself in the middle and and oh by the way i used to reenact right so i used to do civil war reenacting mm -hmm. and things like that and um what an interesting hobby but it also gets you to start thinking when you're in places like the crappiest swamps of New Jersey, you know, what you're driving through or you're hiking through and you start saying, God, what was this like, you know, two or 300 years ago when there weren't these roads and, and it's so hard to walk through this, this brush, you know, what was it like to live in those times? Um, I yeah. love, I do that all the time. Yeah. I'm from I'm from Kansas originally in the Flint Hills and all that. And it's just a vast ocean of, you know, feel. I mean, uh, right. grassland, right. I think you're <clears throat> folks there. I think the same thing. Like, how do you <clears throat> amazing? But the, the, the thing that I. Uh, uh, when I first saw the Mississippi River as an adult, because I've, I've I've walked across the Mississippi River at the headwaters up in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. My family's got a lake cabin up there in a on a Indian reservation. We own property on an Indian reservation, <clears throat> and so I've spent many summers up there, and I spent many times walking across the Mississippi, where it's only you know ten yards wide, eighteen inches deep. Mm -hmm. But then you know, the first time I actually saw the Mississippi was in St. Louis, and I, I immediately thought to myself, okay, as, as the settlers, of, you know, the white man, the Europeans came across this vast land and all of a sudden ran into this gin ginormous 
body of water. Mm-hmm. What did they have? What, what, <laughs> what, what could they think? I mean, because really there's no, except for like the Nile in Egypt and the Amazon, which we hadn't seen yet. There, there's no common frame of reference yeah. in Europe compared to the Mississippi. And just, yeah, what, what, and the Indians, the, the native, you know, indigenous peoples, um, you know, I, I can see where they would have attributed this body of water to some supernatural, you know, you know, something supernatural going with it because it is so large and there's nothing else like it around. Mm. <clears throat> Well, I mean, the the places that I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you, but did I cut anybody off? No, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, the places that I see now, like uh, uh, what is that? Uh, Emilio, uh, what is that? Uh, Emotepters? No, it's uh, some of these weird that eight shape temples that they have no idea how they built them. Things like that. Uh, Biblioteke or te- Tepe or something like that. Bibliotepe. I don't know. There's these interesting settlements that are ancient, you yes. know, made of stone. Yeah. And when I, I've never seen them before, we've never seen them before. And then all of a sudden we discover them, we see them. I think that's kind of the same thing you're talking about, Nache. Yeah. In a sense that, you know, back in those ancient times, it was a normal thing. But maybe it was it, it's been forgotten. So when we see it, it's like that first, like, holy crap. What is this? You know, <clears throat> yep. That's how I feel about like when we start when you, when I first heard about this when John <clears throat> finally told me was when we were doing our paint our paintacon convention, and um, I started started reading. <laughs> I started looking at you know some of the stuff when uh, when he started talking about this like uh, mythic Americas is like the uh, the Aztecs and the Mayans and uh, uh, it's just I started reading about it. And there were things in that even that fascinated me to the point it was like, uh oh, you know, these guys have got a good idea here. Well, because you know, there's no other, I, I'm sorry, Chris, there's no ahead. other era in history that I've just wanted to go pick up a book and start reading about or shared some sort of interest right away. Yeah. They, because one, of, one of the things that Nelson, um, <clears throat> will mention when when you talk about mythic americas and and the goals that we're trying to achieve um is that it he he likes to to compare it to kind of creating a niche right that itch mm-hmm. and and the idea that you want to do some investigation and understand i mean heck if you're playing any tabletop games with miniatures it's inevitable that you're going to research what you're trying to paint right I, i'm doing it mm-hmm. with blood red skies stuff right now i'm looking for pictures of you know hurricanes so i can see what what's a good well if if you're doing that for like inca oh my lord you can spend you can get caught up in that whole internet uh, rabbit holes of of information and uh and it's great right let's get let's get some exposure to some of this because it deserves some exposure it deserves some um some fun attached to it so for I mean, sure. So it, it's um, it's been it's been great. I mean, I, I 
I've done more research than I ever expected to on this. And, and what was interesting for me and my role is that I never actually took a faction. I mean, we, we got a bunch of friends together and literally we have a gaming group that we call the uh, silverbacks because we're older than most of the people <laughs> in the store. And unfortunately I, as father time and the oldest, but, um, we, we just kind of, cause you don't know, well, we, what are you, what are you going to do when you're, when you're starting off a project like this, right? It's like, uh, I'm just like, okay, here, Brian, you run with the Mayans and you, Chris, run with the Aztecs. Let's see what we come up with, you know? Mm -hmm. And when you, when, it, when we go through travel, that whole journey to an end product, we actually do have um, written histories to describe the different factions in the rule book. So, you know, when you get to a, the fact, you know, you've got your Warlords of Erewhon rules that, that were maybe rewritten a little bit. You've got these overlays, but then you get into the factions like the Warlords of Erewhon rule book. But now it's, you know, it's tribal nations, right? And, oh, here's a whole history of the tribal nations. And here's a, you know, a gameplay synopsis, you know, how, how to play the tribal nations. Um, and there's this um, underlying theme to the whole game of, the and this is where we get into a fluff environment for this. Yeah, mm -hmm. Nelson's Nelson's vision for this was uh, of for how the world was seen by these entities, and certainly within the Mythic Americas game was this idea of balance between what we term the ever living and the ever changing. Um, we very very specifically try to avoid the idea of good and evil in the game. Um, you know, because just, you know, people may see Aztecs and their whole uh, sacrificial tendencies as a really evil, hateful kind of lifestyle, but it was their religion, you know, and they had uh, very sacred reasons for doing these things. Not that they weren't cruel in, in some aspects, but they believed these things. This was the foundation to their belief system and, and to, you know, communicating with their gods. So uh, what was I, where was I going? Oh, so, but it wasn't, so you shouldn't think of it as, as evil, right? It's not mm -hmm. like you know, the good guys and the bad guys. We want, we just have these guys and they just happen to have two different types of, of uh, alignments, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and, and the ever living tend to be more um, holistic and growth um driven and the ever-changing are the ones who are trying to you know pursue change with which we all do i mean they're both parts of of every human um so we explored that space and that that the idea of those uh alignments were um uh, come into play a lot with your army building uh you can take the same unit and you can play the same unit as every ever living or ever changing mm -hmm. and uh it, it it does modify the game and the mechanics. I guess the way I've been describing it to, you know, people who are interested in mythic Americas, the way I've been describing it is there is no good or evil. There's everlasting, ever changing. And really there's no good God or bad God because in their eyes, they're, you know, like any army who, you know, prays before they go into battle. They're both praying for the same thing, you know, right. and <clears throat> they, 
all think that they're good. Each side thinks, hey, we're good. We're fighting this fight because we're good. And the other side, oh, we're good. We're fighting this fight because we're good. That's kind of what it reminds me of. But history mm -hmm. writes, you know, in the hands of the victor. You know, the, yeah. the, the yeah. history is written in that way. So that aspect that you that that Nelson uh, has I, I've heard him say, I was just like, wow, that is totally a different approach yeah. To, yeah. to miniature wargaming because everything we play, there's a good and there's an evil. There's right. a good, there's an evil. You know, the hoplites we played last night, hoplites there, you know, and monsters. Well, in that, in the skeletons, automatically there is a good versus evil concept there. Because the guys, you know, in the game, not trying to promote by video, but uh, in the game, the guys were working together to fight the monsters when in reality they needed to fight each other for the goal, you know. So every game I've ever played has been good versus evil. This is totally different and it's intriguing. Um, I, you know, these guys here, they know when I get into something, I will get into it, but I'll only take it so far. Something mm -hmm. I'm insanely interested in. Wild West. Um, if you guys are a follower of my channel, you guys know I have like 20 buildings sitting behind me waiting to be painted. <laughs> you know, and I, I've never taken anything that far. Well, Mythic Americas, I've got something sitting over here that I can't mention or talking about because it's a video. And Chris, I'll tell you about it later. And it is two and a half feet tall. <laughs> And it's going to go on one side of my table for just uh -huh. Mythic America. So uh -huh. it's just, that's how far I'm getting into this. And I haven't even played a single game yet. Well, so it does, it does get you thinking. It does it, get you excited. I, it did me. I can tell you that. It is, is totally, totally intrigued me to the point where it's like, I have a three-year plan, <laughs> you know, of what I'm going to do and what I'm going to make next, you know, so this is a game that I can wrap my head around because I love researching things I don't know about. I got into English Civil War because I never heard about the history, never learned it in school. You know, I mean, it didn't teach you the English Civil War and just the idea of the Royalists, you know, and, and um, oh, lost, lost the name there. Cause I do that um, parliamentarians and the, and, and the Royalists and why they fought. And the battles are so interesting because they were so guerrilla, really. I mean, there really was no humongous, you're thinking, heroic battles. There was a lot of smaller hired hands and what money and who they had to go borrow from and the Scots. And that interests me, but not to the point to where I'm like, oh, I'm going to make this whole entire thing. You know, I'm going to make this terrain. There are so many avenues with Mythic Americas, just Americas, and you talk about Asia. There's a whole other bag with that, too. There's so much there that you will, you know, research for days. Yeah, yeah. Y you know, and, and, uh, and never get bored. Yeah, and never get bored. And, and you know, we're, we're trying to – now, I mean, you can say that the Maya and the Aztecs and the Incas are pretty – pretty common knowledge but we we really are now seeing how much fun it is to explore cultures that are not very well known you know like the taino or the inuits you know you'd know what they are right but what well, do you really know about them 
Well, I don't know that much about them. We're just oh, okay. building them now. But oh, okay. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, like Matt. I <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I could tell you some, but I, you know, it's it's just fun to to create these the itch, as as Nelson likes to put it, of you know, because look, I, I when we talk about Inuits, like if we were talking about them, I would be thinking Eskimos, right? Uh, yeah. that, that, that's it, right? Yeah. It's not not quite right, you know? And when you start really digging into it and you see the the landmass that the Inuits were were living on and, and scraping out a survival, which, you know, back to our conversation, Todd, about how could you live, you know, on, on these grass plains or how could you live in these, these woodlands 300 years ago? How the hell do you live on a frozen tundra? I mean, think about that. It just blows my mind. And I happen to be watching that show, The Terror. Have you? Oh yeah. That? Very cool stuff. It, it's uh, it's about a um, British two British ships trying to cross the Antarctic Ocean, and they get locked up in the ice. Oh wow! And they yeah. are terrorized by. Um, <laughs> Something like scary. Inuit shamans have, you know, it, it's very interesting, and, and it's mostly about these Engli the English guys on the boats, and you know, so here they're just stuck on the ice, and so and they're living okay because their boats were provisioned. You know, mm -hmm. this was more the 1800s, um, but it's it's pretty fascinating. Good show, good show. I think it's on yeah. Hulu, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, um, I mean, to me, it's like. Um, I'm kind of putting together a series, you know, you know, the thing about World War II. So there's, you know, games like, you know, Bolt Action and others that are kind of more tournament based. And it's a lot of people get into that because they're used to 40K, but they see World War II stuff like, oh, that's kind of cool. Let's try that. So they go all play the Panthers and the tanks and all that, like we talked about. Right. Right. Um, but then some of them, now a lot of people don't, but there are many people that then start to really dig into the history, which to me is the cool part. I'm, I'm, I like the history and all, like, I'm not a tournament gamer and stuff. So my my thinking is just as you guys are talking, like you know, I don't know Jack about any of this history really. In Wichita, where I'm from, there's a pretty involved Native American center, and we had a Native American princess that went to our school, and a bunch of us guys went to her. It's not inauguration; that's not the word. But um, anyway, you know, so that's that's a little bit of involvement, seeing you know how what was going on there. But to me, this could you know get a lot of people to really study some history that. Frankly, most of us are clueless on, except for the movies, right? Well, it's a lot for the Mohicans. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, and Apocalypto, right? Those. Oh are yeah, the, Apocalypto. Those, yeah, I'm those, the, those are the two movies that I <laughs> I love to refer to, but they're movies. It's it's interesting you say that, Todd, because we were literally on a phone call with uh, representatives of the Chickasaw Nation uh, a week or two ago, um, <sighs> because we're trying to include them, you know, in in, in getting. Uh, representation appropriate, getting the history appropriate, you know, within reason. It's a game, right? So you got, you're going to have monsters because that's what, you know, people aren't going to just want a historical representation. We're trying to go a little bit broader than that. But, sure. um, you know, and, and we have expectations to reach out to the Taino now because we're about ready to go into a modeling phase, you know, and you want to, again, make the representation appropriate. Well, so I'm excited to hear that. I was, you know, I, when I think about it, I guess um, just to be the sensitive one of the group, I guess, you know, I just like, wow, they're getting representation. And that's really good to hear, honestly, because, again, it's a sensitive subject. <clears> in my <throat> opinion, and I think it is. 
It is. And, and we're trying to, to do all of this with the utmost respect, you know, and um, we, the guy, actually the guy on our team who, who just happens to be one of our very close friends, but he is part American Indian, part Cherokee. And uh, he is uh, obsessed with the appropriate presentation of them. Uh, but he also gets the game part of it too. So it's really cool to get, to get a good uh, social balance there at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. I think one of the things that drew me to the idea is that my grandfather was a archaeologist and did a lot of um, archaeological digs in Texas uh, along the <clears throat> along the Rio Grande and Pecos River. Um, mm -hmm. he, he was also um, instrumental in finding. Um, Oh, Coronado's uh, winter camp in uh, the oh, Panhandle no. of Texas. Um, for years, he he knew that there was a specific there was a specific area in the county that he lived in that my mom grew up in in, in uh, northeast of Lubbock, Texas. And he finally convinced somebody to come down and and uh, spend the money to do a dig, and they they found the full winter camp of Coronado. Uh, during wow. his uh, search for El Dorado, wow. <clears throat> and um, another big find that is credited to him is Baker Cave, um, <clears throat> which overlooks Devil's River outside of Eagle Pass, uh, Texas, which is on the Texas-Mexico border. Something like <laughs> ten thousand years of continuous human uh, occupation. Yeah, and they're in that in that one of, cave. What kind of history is that? I mean, you can think of the fertile ground for that. For a, yeah, a so yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, when they said, "Oh yeah," and we're gonna have <laughs> when John was talking about, and we're you know, we're gonna have the Mayans and the Olmecs and the and the Incas and the, and he said, and we're <laughs> gonna be work have the the Mohawks and the you know Eastern, and we might be thinking about getting into you know the Western and that. <laughs> As soon as I was hearing about the North American Indians, the, the indigenous peoples, as they're they're called these days, I was immediately hooked. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah. you're okay, buddy. But yeah, I'm, I'm not all I'm not all choked up about it. I'm choked up <laughs> because I can't breathe. That's just normal, Chris. He's always choked up. <laughs> so, but yeah, I was really excited. And then when he said, "Yeah," and we're wanting to to you know talk about asia and europe and africa and europe isn't going to be you know dwarves and elves and fairies it's going to be the, you know the deep down you know dig under the yeah under the surface and really dig in about uh the the i, I was dude i if if, if this gets people to think about the history of the land that they're playing it can only be a good thing and so it's it's really imperative on on your team to really research and, and really dig in deep and, and find out because a lot of people don't know anything about the Wendigo, right? Um, I, the only reason I know about the Wendigo is because I played Werewolf, um, yeah, uh, and you know, so I know about the Wendigo and the Uctina and all that. There are but, RVs in this game, huh? There are RVs in this game. RVs? 
He's saying yes. Winnebago. No, no, Winnebago. Windigo. And what, the fort. What, but you know, Winnebago is an Indian. Uh, is is a uh, uh, Indian tribe. Those are really Winnebago. Well, you know what's funny? It just off of what Todd's just said. You know, the if if we were looking at the, I think it's called an Aranoc, as it, which is an Inuit myth. It's a giant wolf. And, you know, maybe that will make its way into our game, right? Mm -hmm. But if you go and look for a picture of an Aranoc, you'll get trucks because they named, they named like, <laughs> I, I don't know what, what country has the Aranoc truck, but uh, it, it takes a little more digging than just writing the name of the actual myth to find out what it is because you're going to get trucks. Now, see, Todd's going to do it right now. He's going to yeah. say, oh, but I'm going to do a search on the Aranoc. Uh, it's, it's, it's like uh, the Kodiak. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're, yeah. you're not going to get a picture of a bear. You're going to get, get a, a truck or, or a can chewing of tobacco. Uh, chewing tobacco. You know, stuff. <laughs> it's like, no, damn it. I want to I talk about the 12-foot damn bear that's going to Got a, a paw the size of your torso. Yeah. <laughs> so is it? You said it's tough. Is it tough to find some imagery for some of this? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes yeah. we're we're just making it up. Um. Uh, but now, yeah, but like that I'm damn Casel Quaddle. Made that yeah. up. Oh, and then <laughs> Quaddle is a very controversial monster <laughs> in, in the America's reign. <laughs> I, I love that model. That's an oh, amazing man. model. Yeah. Uh, what's the one called that had the humans he was throwing? Oh, the IR. Yeah, the yeah. IR. Yeah. yeah. I, ironically, we brought all the painted uh, <coughs> that we had, and we have more for nations and Aztecs than anything else to the store today because we wanted to show them to um, John and Steve who were there. And uh, I, that was actually the first time I saw the IR and had it in my hand. And it's, it's pretty, pretty amazingly creepy. I mean, so we went with a, oh, yeah. a, a an undead theme with the Aztecs, um, which again, is not totally inappropriate because they had very strong beliefs about life after death and uh, coming back and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. And it made for a fun filled fashion, right. To have, um, but the IR is really a just mass of of bodies, dead bodies, and not all oh, human. Wow. Not it, all. It's yeah. gruesome. Yeah. It is. Wow. Mm. But it, it's mm. pretty cool in that it throws. Mm. It, you know, they, it, it is the uh, the rock launcher or the rock lobber that for the Aztecs, but it just does it with corpses. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, no big deal. Cool. Yeah, you know. <laughs> well. I do have a question, kind of like some basics that I feel like I, I don't know as much as these guys. They've kind of talked about a little bit, but um, but it's interesting. You know, talking about like so Aztecs, right? That's who you said have this. That's who we were just talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But they're not going to be just because they're undead doesn't mean they're bad or good, right? That's what no. you said. No, and they can be ever living and ever changing. I mean, you can look at it that way too. Though that same monster can play both roles. Yeah. Yeah. Someone was, I was listening to some people talking about uh, a reaction show to uh, Lovecraft country and they're talking about ghosts and like, why do we, why are ghosts always scary? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a, because it's kind of they, the talk was, I mean, these were, you know, amateur um, buffs about this stuff, but they're kind of like, just kind of discussing why are ghosts bad, you know? And so right. that's kind of reaching to that. It's like, well, why are, why are undead bad necessarily? Right. You know, I mean, right. it's kind of, and there's a whole line you could go there. Um, 
I'm kind of curious. So what, what, what do you get when you get the, the book and what, what's kind of the base like factions or whatever you want to, I don't know what you're calling them or what's, how's that work? I guess we do call them factions. Um, so what's releasing initially in December would be the, um, the tribal nations faction and the Aztec fashion faction. Um, and general warlords of Erewhon, um, armies, if you will, or war bands mm-hmm. are, are constructed around a, a warlord first. That would be yep. kind of like your general or a magician, um, or, a magician or right. And, and yeah. so we, you know, that's kind of a mandatory start, right? So for the, for the, um, for the nations, we have a sachem, right? Which, sachem, yeah. you know, originally was a chief, but we thought sachem sounded a little more <laughs> appropriate. Um, and then you start build, then you'll have, uh, you, so you have your warlord unit, but then you'll have warrior units, which are usually, um, supporting, uh, and then you can have any number of different types of units from there on. You could have beast units, which we, the, the tribal nations tend to have more beasts. They have wolves, they have eagles. Um, then you could have monster units. So something like the Sasquatch which is also part of the nations is a monster kind of think of them as ogre sized. Yeah. Um, and then you could have monstrosities, which are your really big, uh, intimidating monsters. Uh, think of the Wendigo, um, and all of which are tribal nations. I mean, it, yeah. And, and go ahead. Go ahead it's Matt. like, it's like bolt action, Todd. If you, you, I know you play a lot of that. You have a platoon leader and then you have your, you know, two units, fire team supporting it. It's right. kind of the same concept. It's just done in a fantasy term where you have a chief and you have your warriors, your basic troops. Gotcha. Uh, you okay. can have an, and I know in Erewhon, I don't know, Chris, you can correct me. I know in Erewhon, they had one special unit that was like, you know, the King's guard, you know, yeah, bodyguard. they bodyguards yeah. and each army had a version of that where they could take more things. And then you'd have, that would be like a specialty unit you know, and in Taris, it's kind of the same thing too. You know, you have your leader or command unit, you have your normal guys, tactical units, and then they have, you know, specialty specialists and mm-hmm. you can only take so many and yada, yada. So, and so the, okay, that's cool. Thanks, Matt. So another thing, Todd, that you would um, gravitate, well, that, that would be meaningful to you is that it is also like bolt action and that it is that dice draw game. Yeah. So, so you're going to be activating units according to drawing the dice out of the bag. That mechanic, mm-hmm. which is very, you know, core to warlords is mm-hmm. also core to mythic Americas and warlords of Erewhon. Um, great. Yeah. It's a fun mechanic. We really, it, it makes for, you know, in comparison to something like uh, age of Sigmar where it's like, okay, your whole army goes uh, good. Did you survive? Okay. Now my whole army goes, did I survive? <laughs> You know, and then let's flip a coin to see who goes next. And um, I, I love the dice draw uh, activation mechanic. Okay. So is there like in my built action that I got the most history with, does it have like about 12 dice per side as kind of a max? That's kind of what it is in bolt action. That, that, that probably is the max. I mean, we're, we, you know, I don't know what the, what the. Not max, but. I, I know what you're saying, but I mean, if you're playing a thousand point game, which is the, it just, that's our magic number right now. That's what we've been play testing for. Seem okay. to be, and, and Mac, you, you've played mm-hmm. more Warlords of Erewhon than I have. I mean, is that the normal number that you're looking at? A thousand points? A thousand points is probably a two hour, two and a half hour game if you know right. the rules. 
So right. 1250 is what we play. That's just because we know the rules and we can get that done in two hours. <clears throat> yeah. So, so we play a lot of just a, we play a lot of 752 though, but that's because uh, we only have, you know, so much time and you can do 750 to a thousand probably in a good two hours. If you know. The rules. So what are we looking model count wise? Um, I, for, I, for a thousand points, roughly for a thousand points, you can go anywhere from uh, an elite army. That's probably going to have 30 models in it to a horde army. That's going to have 60, 70 models in it. All right. So that, that's your typical war band. And, and to just the Aztecs are a bit of a horde army, right? They have the gambling yeah. yeah. units of undead, um, you know, that they're going to be trying to buff. Um, and, you know, we did bend some of the rules on normal army composition. So you could, you can grow an undead unit up to 15, you know, as opposed to the standard 10. Yeah, yeah, it's it gets very intimidating when you're on the other side of the table facing <laughs> like two or three units of of these shambling yeah. men. I'll just make sure I got plenty of uh, Wendigo, Sasquatches, and Eagles. So, you know, yeah, okay. stuck it, Matt. <laughs> okay. Just, just, just to be clear, all those indigenous Americans are pretty much naked. They have zero armor. So, yep. Well, that's why there's plenty of Sasquatches. And <laughs> well, you do know the. The the AU was mine, and the undead will be mine, of course. Uh huh. <laughs> they're both they're both super fun to play. I, yeah. I will say that. Um, tribal nations are much more of a of a hit and run finesse kind of an army. Yeah. Uh, they also have a lot of um, uh, a lot of variations that you can work into it. I mean, you've got between the Sasquatch and the Wendigo, and oh, this guy who I was just fixing, I might add. That that's your mounted uh, sachem. He's on his little. Uh, oh wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, man. he's on his eagle. That's so awesome. Cool. Yeah, not, not how cool is that? Yeah. yeah well, <clears throat> see, I'm I'm also drawn to the eagles because you know I'm he's an a eagle Philly scout. fan. No, oh, no. you mean no. an NFL eagle fan? No, no, no. Because I am. No, no, no. No. Oh yeah, you can <laughs> just say it. Just say it. All uh, right, granted, you are in a pretty good area for football right now. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of shifted a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We're in our, we're in our, I'm actually no, uh, all season. So uh, the uh, no, I'm an Eagle Scout. So oh, that's uh, why you like Eagles. Okay, but you yeah. you realize Eagles have hollow bones, right? So yeah. they're not gonna. They don't stand up to like. Um, <laughs> Saying I are is throwing a body. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's all good because they're going to come in, swoop up, you know, claw full of uh, enemies and drop them to their deaths or re-deaths. This is not Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, what I like is there's trash talking about a game that's not even out yet. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's how you know it's good. <laughs> or it's going to be good. Yeah. So, so I'm always... I'm a big starter set guy. I always talk about it. I never buy any of them, but I just talk about it. Um, but is your, you said there's going to be a kind of a starter set, like there's a bolt yes. action set and some others. Yes. Yeah. So with the starter set, you would get, and, and it's very much in line with the Warlord's um, approach, right? So, uh, God, I don't, you, this is actually all on the Warlord's site if you go out and you dive into it. But the, the bigger starter set. You. 
Uh, that's okay, but I'll screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you something, whether it's factual or not. I don't not, know. not Jay will correct you. He's our researcher usually for the show. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm bringing it up now as we speak. But I mean, you're going to get uh, the sachem. You're going to get a medicine man. You're going to get a bunch of mohawks. You're going to get a bunch of Seneca. All right, so the mohawks are going to be your standard hand-to-hand um, unit, and then you'll get Seneca archers, which are a ranged unit. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you might get Sasquatch, but I'm not 100% sure on that. And then on the Aztec side, you'll get their high priest, uh, who is also a wizard. You'll get a bunch of undead. Um, hmm, what else do you get? Maybe marauders, which are kind of like oversized ogre-ish undeads. Um, Come on, not Jay. Help me on here, because that's about where I'm at. And then you know you'll get the rule book. You'll get tokens. There are cards because the, <coughs> what we've done is overlaid. <coughs> we've overlaid some mechanics on um, that that are card driven. Um, one of the things that we uh, wanted to expand upon from a war, Warlords of Erewhon was the whole um, objective uh, perspective of winning. Um, Right now, the scenarios are, are kind of, um, you know, it's really just kill points is what you're working for. And I'm not sure how that works with um, Bolt Action or some of those games, but um, we wanted there to be more of an objective point. So the scenarios themselves are very objective and victory point gaining driven. And then we've added uh, secondary objectives, which are part of the cards that you're you're working with so that you can have secondary objectives so um it, it makes much more uh makes for much more of a strategic game where you know it's not just kill you know you, now you have to start thinking about uh securing objectives and securing victory points no i man you know i am not a points guy at all i like objectives that's kind of that's my yeah. so that speaks my language too so that's yeah. so cool did you get i got it pulled up not jay but unless you want to So, <clears throat> yeah, so it looks, <clears throat> there's a couple of different starter packs. Um, there's the, um, looks like kind of an all-in Aztec Warband bundle for $240, the all-in uh, Tribal Nations for $240. The, uh, See, and I think those are, I think those are like kind of the special yeah. that you can get now. Um, right. But those, that's not the standard. Like there is a standard mix. Yeah, there, there's there is a Mythic America starter set. It's one hundred and twenty dollars, uh, and it is going to give you. It's <clears throat> for the Aztecs. It looks like you get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, twelve uh, undead. Uh, looks like two medicine men and your. Uh, your big guy, your your chieftain, and then for the <clears throat> tribal nations, the tribal nations, you're gonna have your your sacum. Um, you got what about uh, five well, archers, thirteen models, four, five, and uh, seven uh, seven hand to hand guys with clubs and and spears and all corn kinds of other nastiness plus dice yeah. and and the tokens like he said so and it's a, <clears throat> this is d10 right is that like gate, gates and all that yeah, yeah it's, it's yes if you know how to play gates of Antares, you know how to play this game well, it, yeah, well he, 
he he knows how to lose skates. No, I, I let Chris win that one. I let not Jay win that time just to make him feel good. Here's what we're going to do, and we're going to do this right here. Yeah, please, because yeah. I, I don't think that what not Jay was presenting was the um, – Well, this is the first thing that comes up right here. Right. Yeah, the, okay, the, so the let's $120 one is the, the basic starter set. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. All right, go ahead. Bring over there and, and click on that Humpty Dumpty, and let's see what, what's included in it. <laughs> this that's, one here? That's, that's $204. That's going to get a lot more than the standard. Yeah, this has got the special miniature in it. Yeah, scroll yeah, down. No, the, scroll down. <clears throat> there Boom. you go. Okay, you're, you're showing off the uh, your special pricing there. Uh, there you go. Sorry. 120. There you go. All right. So scroll down a little more. I don't want to just count the, the units. I want to see what they say. Well, no, yeah. that's, that's it. So that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 13 and 15 figures. Aztec have 15 and tribal is 13. Right. So oh, those guys, okay. those guys uh, on the ends, that guy. Yeah. He's really, that's a human uh, who leads the undead. So he's standing there. He's got that cool mask on and he's holding up a, a head. And he's kind of like a necromancer, right? Right. That that guy is the actual high priest who yeah. um, is, yes, indeed, a necromancer. Wait, is, he, is that a, 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 what do they call that in 40K, that chainsaw? That, no, that's oh, no, chainsaw. <coughs> that, that's, that, that's a war club. That's actually a makawaka wheel. So what they did was they, they took their clubs and then they would take uh, broken pieces of obsidian and they'd mm -hmm. line them along the edges. Yeah. Uh, extremely sharp, could cut through uh, even the armor of the conquistadors. So those, those, that stuff is no joke. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's heavy too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. May I have another? Yeah, man. You don't wow. want to be on the receiving end of that. God, that's awesome. awesome. Okay. And that, and I love the colors. I, I mean, I cannot wait to. Oh, you just wait till you see how I paint them. Not just there. wait. <laughs> but wait, there's more. There's the Indian chief, and there's the so there's the Mohawk warriors, right? They have all the war clubs and the tomahawks, um, and then behind them are the Senecas, which are the guys with the archers. Um, that's about that's about five hundred points, is it not? Yeah, it's yeah. going to be very close to it. Um, you yeah. know, the, the, the real fun starts when you start adding in the, the, the mo monsters and the, you know, monstrosities, of course. I uh -huh. I, I, I love... Um, Here we go. This is what I wanted. There's yeah, the okay. So, yeah, you, got, you have dice there. You have uh, the cards. So there's three sets of cards, um, you know, th that are going to help you select the scenario, the secondary objectives, and then there's another round of cards that are called <laughs> Blessings of the Way, right? So the way is the ever-living or ever-changing. So depending on which way you decide your, your children of the way are going to follow, um, you get uh, some cards, and you'll get one for each turn. So you'll have a hand of six, and you can play one during a turn, and it just kind of breaks the rules a little bit. Uh, adds a little, again, a little more fun and strategy behind um you know your your objective grabbing um you don't have to use them but you can only use one in a turn and um so that's kind of cool and then like the monstrosities themselves actually come with uh their own blessings so you you know you can still only have a hand of six and you can just you know if you if you're playing the ir and you and you're playing an ever living war band you might you know, bring in the ever living. I'm going to do it. You don't have to, but you can. 
Oh Those are God. the spider sisters. Those <laughs> things are so Yeah, ugly. they're creepy. That's not a good picture because that's the same model reproduced three times, but she's very creepy. She's got like four arms and a couple of legs. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. also so they're also um magic have a magic level in the game. So it's interesting that, um, you know, unlike what's kind of standard for warlords of Erewhon, where, which is, I can have, uh, you know, a wizard, um, you could have several on the board at the same time. So that, there that, he is. there's the AR. Yeah. Yeah. He's made all kinds. That of stuff. thing is just so damn disturbing. Yeah, it is. It Th is. That is literally the fuel of nightmares. I cannot wait to paint it. Look at this. There's an arm holding another. <laughs> I like the little crocodile head coming out of there. Oh, yeah. Look at that. <laughs> that yeah. reminds me of uh, the the plant on uh, oh. uh, Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> Feed me, Seymour. Right. <laughs> These are the Azorians. Oh, no. Let's... Uh... So that that special model, oh, yeah. a, that is a precursor to the uh, to the Incas, actually. Let's look that, at it. Yeah, that's a pretty cool model, actually. <laughs> so that's that's the uh, the Inca Sapa uh, riding on a spirit jaguar. Um, wow! And my my good buddy painted that. He did a hell of a job with that. It's an amazing model. Yeah, that's a crazy so, good paint job. <clears throat> oh boy! Ironically, we painted all this stuff ourselves. We didn't have, we didn't bring any pros in. So okay, so the collector's edition has the. Yeah, let's look at the top. The uh. All right, so there you go. So now you're looking at how many units of undead. I don't know. Those are the marauders. Those are the bigger um, ogre-sized guys right there. The, um, Sasquatch. There's the Sasquatch over there. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I would imagine these are about a hundred points a piece. Uh, kind of actually, what I'm thinking. No, mm -hmm. you, can get, you. I think it's fifty-five points for the first five, and then uh, whoa, <laughs> yeah, they're 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 really cheap. They they, they can Not die pretty. Easy. So they die. They die in droves. But you know you're gonna buff them, right? Yep. <laughs> so there, there you go, Nache. That's what that warlord's for. So this would be kind of like you need five more of these. <laughs> yeah, you need. You need. You know, it's it's. I think. I think playing two units of fifteen mm -hmm. is is uh is is solid because the thing is the the way the magic works for the Aztecs is that if you have a higher magic level then you can you don't get like an increased range per se what you get is you can cast it on more undead units so at, at third level i can buff three units and so and, and any undead unit so those marauders were undead units too so it kind of depends do i want to buff my yeah that guy's badass oh He's my god Definitely my my favorite That's my model. favorite model. It's so much detail. If I can get my cursor, I mean, just the detail on this model too. I mean, the paint job. Nelson painted that. Did he really? Yes, he did. Did a great job. That's a cool. Oh. Model. 
That's that's one of my favorites. Mine too. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So I just mini warmut who's often he's usually a host on here with us, uh, Chris, but he couldn't join us tonight. Ask a question and is Warlord working on the Eastern myth now? I'm not really sure what he's talking about. You mean so uh, mythic Asia, I think is what he's asking okay, about. Okay. I didn't know if you're yeah. talking about Eastern US or right, right. Um the you know, a rough, if I were to talk a rough, rough timeline, these things are not set in stone. Um, we have, uh, the things that are set in stone are, are the December release of those two factions we were just looking at. And then shortly, I would say, I'll say first quarter, um, we're going to introduce the mines and the Incans. Um, all those factions are done, written up. Uh, when you get the rule book that is released in December, it's going to include the Incas and the mines, but the models aren't going to come out until 2021, beginning of 2021. Um, and then in the summer of next year, we would expect the uh, the next two factions. Um, right now, it's scheduled as the Taino and the Inuits. And then the, uh, the end of next year, we'll be looking at finishing up the Mythic Americas in eight factions with two more factions that I, I'm going to not announce and probably start the release of Mythic Asia. And then it just keeps going. I mean, we our, our long-term vision is to have Mythic Asia. So then you'll see it probably release similarly to how Mythic Americas is releasing over the next 12 months. Um, and then we'll go into, I'm not sure which, whether we're going to go into Africa next or, or Europe. We haven't gotten that far, uh, but there are three more books, as Nelson likes to call them. So there's Mythic Africa, there's Mythic Europe, and then there's Mythic Earth which means something to him, but doesn't mean a whole lot to me yet. And so <laughs> that means I, that means I, we have not started design on that. I mean, you say Africa or Asia for crying out loud. That's such a huge area. Both yeah. I'm like, well, those like are here? such, I mean, it's funny. Let me show you something. This, uh, so John gave me this book today, which is the death of the dark continent because it is just loaded with uh, information about uh, Africa and the different tribes. Now it's a little, little later in the time period than what we're looking at, but we're, you know, it's it's going to be so much fun to uh, to research. So I'm really so excited about Africa. I, I have to tell you, we haven't scratched that yet, um, but that's going to be fun. Uh, I'm assuming though that you're probably looking more sub-Saharan than uh, like Egypt, since Egypt has been done to death. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't. I can't answer that, not Jay, because I. I mean, I'm not. I'm not leaving anything off the table. That's what's so much fun about this is that you know. Yeah. You gotta you gotta pick those those just the eight that that are gonna give us a, a good kind of universal feel for the for Africa. I mean, I don't think there's any reason you couldn't look at a Morocco or something like that as opposed right. to going strictly like Savannah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. we really haven't even scratch the surface on that and you're going to look for for those tribes that that are meaningful and have some depth to them and probably are underrepresented right i think that's that's going to be a lot of fun i think so um, what one uh, thing that what <clears throat> one thing i i would um I, I would want to make sure that is recognized is that the middle east 
uh, is part of Asia. So I'm hoping that we get some, uh, some of the myths from like Saudi Arabia and Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan and India and that type of stuff. So, you know, it, that's, it's, it's <clears throat> tricky. what we, what we're trying to do, at least what our vision is, is that we want to um, kind of tie in uh, existing uh, finished books like mythic America and tie it into say mythic Europe using the conquistadors, right? right? Because then you have a crossover. And I think we can do that uh, on the West coast by tying into some of the, uh, the Asian cultures, because yeah. there was certainly um, influence coming from there. Yeah. Was, the Polynesians know, and the islands exactly, and whatnot. Exactly. And I mean, they found their ways over. Um <clears throat> So that we'll see how Asia melds into Africa and, and how the Middle East is, is represented in there. Yeah. I mean, you could almost look at the Middle East or the idea of Persia as, as something that could be explored in and of itself. No, for um, sure. Well, and then, you know, you talked about the Pacific Islanders, crying out loud, but now that's a naval game. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we, we were talking about actually Matt was on the the mythic Asia conversation that we were having a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about those Islamic trade routes, you know, that were were tying together that yeah. piece of the world, um, which would be really cool to explore. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's fascinating. Yeah, the thing with Asia is it's so large you can almost do two yeah. separate books. Yeah, East, East Asia and West Asia. Yeah, <clears throat> not, not wanting to give you any more work, Chris. But <laughs> well, what I'm what I'm finding a lot of the cultures are intertwined. Yeah. You know? So it, and especially like you know uh, Korea and and China China and the Japanese and Koreans and a lot of those culture cultures interchange. But you know, for the most part, they have their own myths. They yeah. definitely have their own folklore, folklore. So, and you can really dive down and find those little um, subcultures that that we have no idea about. You know, like Taino. I knew nothing about the Taino. Yeah, yeah I, had no I didn't idea. Know they existed. Yeah, <laughs> but that. See, here's the thing. I'm a practical kind of guy, right? Like I. I, I kind of look at what I do as like hurting the cats. You know, trying to get everyone to to stay focused on a faction and trying to make sure that things stay balanced and that things are, are, are representing a theme and a play style. But I got to tell you, if we do five books and we do eight factions per book, that's like freaking 40 factions. And that, that is a bit daunting, right? To me, I, I, I yeah. To, well, let's let's see where it goes. You know, it, it's, it's a lot of fun right now. Um, I, I don't, look at it as as if we're biting off more than we can chew because we're just going to evolve and migrate to these different factions and if they work and they they uh are fun on the table then we'll just keep going yeah wow cool so i, I think uh i think that it sounds like y'all are wanting to do it, you know kind of a more organic type of thing you know see where it leads you and don't necessarily shoehorn something in that, um, you know, you push something in there because you think it needs to be there and it just somehow ends up not fitting. Well, it, you know, it's funny, not Jay, that, um, 
we're all just having fun with this, right? Honestly, we're all just volunteering our time and our energy into this. And um, that can be very dangerous when you're talking about creative uh, efforts and you're talking about friendships yeah. and, oh, you yeah. have to make, and you have to make hard decisions, right? Like mm -hmm. we've like the conquistadors. I feel bad for, for the guy, uh, you know, our, our buddy, Andrew, who, who put it together originally um, and it, it obviously has a lot of flavor, you know, and, and we, and then we backed off on it. And then I, I, the worst thing is we brought it back again. We're like, okay, now it's when we're going to go with the, and we shelved it again <laughs> and feelings get hurt. And it, it's hard to, to be coaxing all this creativity out of friends and then make a business decision to not move forward. Um, yeah, that could yeah, be kind of cold-blooded <laughs> yeah it can be different what what ironically is uh our buddy who was all up and ready to go with conquistadors also named andrew <laughs> <laughs> yep well it's funny our andrew is a is a huge empire player and right? he just loves his empire and his entire army this is really cool his entire army is pirates so it's a complete pirate <laughs> team but he's playing empire for um Warhammer, and uh, so of course he would want to, in you know, represent the conquistadors. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I'm excited about the whole concept, and like I said, hopefully, hopefully, the, the everything that is going to be happening over the next five years does for um, indigenous peoples of the different continents what um, Bolt Action and uh, Flames of War did for World War II mm -hmm. and actually get people interested in doing a deep dive into researching all of these things and not just, you know, playing again. crusting it, you know. <laughs> again, it, it, it's it is a balancing act, right? I mean, so you've got the, you have to represent, you gotta, you gotta dive into this stuff and it's gotta be fun on the table. Oh and yeah, exactly. And, and you know what? I, I honestly believe, um, I mean, there's a reason people like to play historical games, right? They like to recreate and understand and, and, um, and do the research. And, um, so, you know, I, I, think that that's a fun aspect you know it just doesn't have to be because hey, oh look I, i've got these cool monsters but because it is uh, um the history itself is fun the idea of of representing this subculture that you'd never heard of is fun right yeah i, I definitely think it's going to make pe more people like myself dive into the history <clears throat> and the myths really uh, you know, in different cultures, because they're very, very different. I mean, me personally, I read a, a folktale just because I came across it or a mythical story about uh, an old lady. And uh, no, no, I know what it was. It was a, a, a Confucius scholar and his wife lived in this house and he went off, you know, to do his thing, his scholarly things. And she was left there by herself. And this, this older lady came by 
and said, uh, you know, could do tons of work in her house and she'd give her supper and feed her and everything. So the scholar's wife said, come on in, I'll, I'll do this. She did three times the amount of work. And after a few days gone by, you know, the old lady kind of got tired of doing the same thing. And she said, uh, I'm bored. I need a husband. I want yours. And of course the wife said, no, I don't think so. And that made this lady mad. So she went out and got herself um, locked up in her house in some sort of box and she couldn't leave. And her whole family got sick and died. And the name of the whole story was, is an old woman becomes a goblin. Oh, how neat. And the wife was stuck in that house and nobody dared go near it because everybody who went near it got plagued, you know, and there was fire coming out of the chimney for four or five days and then it just stopped. But nobody ever checked to see if she was still alive. Nobody checked to see if she had passed away. Nobody wanted to go near the house because everybody who did died. <laughs> so that's the whole story. Hmm. It's uplifting. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> but that's something that's some of the stuff you come across when you start looking up the history yeah. you know and the myths and stuff it's like why is that a myth exactly <laughs> it's, telling some, it's telling a lesson of some kind or something yeah yeah but it doesn't tell you you know it, it's just it, <laughs> it, it it doesn't actually come out and say this is the reason for the story or this is the moral for the story some of them do you know but this one did not this one just like this is the story i hope you like it you know but it was a story that was told. Um, it's a folk tale that's told. You know, don't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and and the, the research that I did do, the only thing I can think of is, is, <clears throat> you know, uh, don't leave your wife alone at home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just putting it plain like that. I mean, honestly, I think that was the moral because there was only one comment on there that had some sort of scholar say, well, he didn't want to leave, you know. You, you can't leave your wife at home because the goblins will come and take them away and take over your whole family, you know? So, I mean, okay. Okay. I'll buy that, you know, <laughs> especially considering the source of where the mythology comes from, you know? So, but there's lots of, lots of interesting stories like that. Um, for sure. Uh, I want to kind of curve it here a little bit uh -oh. because I know, you know, a lot about this <laughs> uh, play style of the factions that are coming out. Can you oh, yeah. talk about like uh, their specific uh, play style? Because you know, with Beyond the Gates of Antares, you know the Boromites play a certain way, and the you know they're 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 kind of specialty troops, you know, and, and they have these special weapons that work differently than everybody else's, like the mass compactors. And then you have the Isaurians, which are super elite, and they have these elite weapons and things like that. So, mm -hmm. you know, like is there a mainstay, like like the Mayans are organized or something like that? Let's talk about that. I'd love to talk about that because that's well, kind of what people are interested in for sure. Sure, sure. Not, so. The uh, the Mayans absolutely are organized. Um, they are represented as a very elite troops, um, which is a, a fair representation. They were they're very savage in hand to hand. Um, they are not exclusively hand to hand. They actually have a, um, they have a fear component to them, which, um, impacts the amount of pins that they're giving out. So, oh, cool. um, th they're nasty. Um, <laughs> they also have atlats, right? Or as we might call them atlatls, which are the, uh, spears with the, 
uh, grips on them so that you can throw them harder and stronger. And oh, yeah. those things are nasty because they're coming in at SV2 because yeah. as we know, they were strong enough to pierce the armor of the conquistadors. So, um, or maybe we don't know. That, those, but <laughs> for those of you that don't know, S, SV means strike value. That's right. what you take away from the, uh, the person you're firing against armor save. So, um, so your Mayans, that's going to be a very small force, right? Because they're going to—they're expensive yeah. for all that uh, for all that hitting power. They also have their monstrosity is uh, a Kamazots, which is a giant uh, bat god, just pretty bad. Oh, cool! Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got that? I didn't even see that. I didn't even know that. That's so yeah. awesome. Yeah, Kamazots is 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 awesome. But he's also so. So here's the thing. Um, and, and if I don't go back to finishing your question, Matt, about the play styles, please redirect me, but I will, um, you know, introducing monstrosities into the game is, is tricky, right? Because, um, and, and I think this happens in a lot of warlord games is where they're representing the bigger things like the bigger tanks or, or the bigger monsters and you're paying exorbitant amounts of points and you know it might be a fifth of your army to put one model on the table well in warlords of erewhon that model only has one wound you know that's the way it plays it's a bloody game um yeah and we we struggled trying to figure out how to get the balance of of because let's face it big monsters are are going to be big sellers and you want to put them on the table but do they play? Do they add to the game? And after exploring a lot of alternatives, we ended up going straight with Rick's Priestley's rules for playing the monstrosities on the table. Uh, we point them out. We try and make them very themed. But you know what? They can die. They can mm -hmm. die just like any other, If you, especially if you have some bad rolls, if you have some bad luck. Now, I kind of like that. I think that's kind of fun. Like, we have stories of playing Nelson and I were playing and the scenario itself actually had these um, these quarry on the board that you have to kill, right? You're hunting the quarry and they're appearing and they're spirit quarry. And uh, so they're running around the board and you're trying to kill them to get your victory points, but they also fight back. They're not going to just stand there and let you kill them. Yeah. And at one point Nelson, and we were calling them kitty cats, just, <laughs> for no good reason. I don't know why we were calling them that, but it seemed funny at the time because they're, they should be an easy kill. Well, old Kamazots went out there to take a flank and get an easy kill and rolled poorly. And by the time he was done killing this hunting hunted quarry, he was devastated. He couldn't move. He was all sad. It was one of the funniest things to see the giant, you know, Lord of darkness, uh, get swatted by the kitty cat <laughs> so does it detract from the game if you don't want to play with the uh monsters or the monstrosities no, no. we we've, okay. we've we've tried uh, we we do that i mean some we purposefully try and uh you know play the lists in different uh configurations just to do that um so so if you and this is going to sound weird if you wanted to play say a quasi historic mm -hmm. meetup mm -hmm. uh, between conquistadors and 
uh, Aztecs, when and if the conquistadors do finally come out, you could you could use this rule set to play that. I think you could, sure. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to have the supernatural stuff. If, if yeah. I could take a a regular, you know, North American sachem on foot, he can have a couple of Mohawk warriors, and then just take units of Mohawks, units of um, Seneca warriors. Mm-hmm. Now. <laughs> you're not going to get the variety. I mean, sure. Would would it be appropriate for me to put wolves in into that unit or into that war band? Because I mean, wolves are real creatures, right? Um, uh, would but that's not historically correct, you know? Yeah. Um, but but it doesn't by taking them out. It it doesn't detract from the gameplay as such. It's place no. Yeah. I, I and and I think that is a testament to Rick Priestley's rule set mm-hmm. um, because it is very uh, it's the foundation for Mythic Americas, right? It's the foundation for the right. game, and uh, you know it, it's it's flexible enough. You know that's kind of the way he wrote it. You know, all we're doing is kind of taking that rule set, corralling it, and and getting our arms around it for this this uh, flavor of gaming. You know. Yeah, and it's very it's it's a very uh, black powder esque in a way because black powder is just the rule book, and then you added American Civil War to that uh, supplement book, which added its own special rules and AWI, same thing, you know. So he he did write it exactly just just like that. I mean, he followed his style. He's like, okay, this is generic, you know, run with it. And believe me, when I looked at Erewhon. I was like, so I'm so used to those type of games that say, tell me what to do. Please just tell me what to do. Right. Erewhon's one of those games where it leaves it open completely. I mean, I I have Kings of War armies I used in Erewhon. Right. You know? I mean, yeah. it's like a blessing and a curse, right? It, it, yeah. it, it, was a, it was a great rule set that was so open, you didn't even have to make models for it. But yeah. you know, if you're trying to run a business, you want to make models for the game, right? Right. So, <laughs> And I think that's probably something else that that endears me to the or the endears the rules to me. Yeah, use whatever you want. I'm 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 very much a toolbox kind of player. You know, tell me tell me how you know a unit moves, and then let me figure out what that unit is going to look like. Right. <clears throat> and and. Mm, I'm trying to think of how if I can take that that idea and and overlay it onto our design philosophies, but I probably can't. <laughs> um, but anyway, let me let me continue down the faction. Yeah, tackle, discussion, tackle that. Right. So um, please stop. So that's the Mayans. So again, Mayans very elite. Mayans have a fear aspect to them, which is totally appropriate, by the way, considering that you know they were one of the more enslaving type of, of, you know, they would rather take their opponents as slaves rather than kill them. And um, what else about the mines can I share? Uh, that's, that's probably good. Um, the Aztecs we've already talked about. So they're really a, a horde and buff kind of a game, uh, but they don't have to be. They are not completely undead. They, they have Jaguar warriors. They have Eagle warriors, which are historically correct. Um, 
the Jaguar warriors are your hand to hand. Your Eagle warriors are your um, ranged. Uh, I, I happen to be a fan of taking um, the Eagle warriors in smaller units, you know, of five, cause they get slings and then I can, you know, to me, I can get some MSU action going and, and still putting out the same volume of dice. Um, they also have uh, the most magic, I guess, coming into it because their warlord is the high priest who is a magic user. Uh, <coughs> they have uh, the spider systems or those creepy. Uh, that's models. just that's just disturbing as, as <laughs> that's about as much disturbing as the IR. I yeah. cannot wait to get my hands on those. <laughs> I, 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 same way. I love the whole. I mean, just the idea of the spider sister, and then they look that messed up. It's just oh yeah. Great combo. Um, and then, um, what was I going to say? Oh, and then the Quetzalcoatl yeah. is also a magic uh, user. So you, have, you can potentially have three, you know, mages on the board at one time. That's a lot of magic. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It's fun. Um, what else about the uh, Aztecs? So so really, that's, that's more of a horde and buff, more of an undead kind of a play. Um, doesn't have to be completely a lot of magic. Um, uh, then you have the tribal nations. Now tribal nations and actually the Incas uh, both play a little more uh, elite and finesse. So you know that the tribal nations have like zero in the armor perspective. So they're coming in pretty much naked guys with tomahawks and uh, and bows. And the way they can they they supplement this is with their uh, ability to use the terrain to their advantage. So they're all uh, woodsmen, which means that they're not affected by moving through the terrain, and uh, and so they they like woods, which is apropos for them because they're going to be looking at at a hit and run type of a of a play style. Yeah. Um, and what the medicine man can do for them is he can one uh, he can make more woods appear. So he, he now you're you're increasing the terrain that can help the uh, the That's unit. Awesome. And then right. another thing that he can do if you're if you're in the right alignment now, not both it's not both ever living and ever changing. But if you're in the right alignment, he can actually uh, have units magically move from one forest to another, which is mm. pretty. Um, pretty game breaking honestly because you know <laughs> either there's their requirements i mean you can't be half in and half out of the woods uh you yeah. have wholly within right but to uh be able to shift um a unit from one part of the board to the other and you're playing an objective game that's tough yeah it's tough <laughs> that, that, that sounds uh, familiar there matt <laughs> We played in the game last night. Pan could disappear in the woods and he can come back out. As soon as, he, <laughs> as soon as he popped out, he popped up over there by Nache's hoplites and, and next to his specialist, which had a bow, and he did one shot, crack, boom, dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of that stuff sounds very, you know, oh, that's OP, you know, but the truth is to set some of that stuff up in Warlords of Erewhon is not simple. And magic is fickle in the game. 
Mm -hmm. Right, you still have to roll dice, and you can still be dispelled. And you can be dispelled. Okay. Does there <laughs> a miscast type situation where you can miscast or? Absolutely, yeah. same rules. Same, same rules. Rule. Okay. 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 Yeah. So I was kind of had to step away, but I was still listening in. So I was going to ask because I don't play magic games with magic in it. Um, so I am, but I do hear about how magic can overpower a game. But it sounds like you guys are kind of feudal warlords, everyone. Yeah, you know, you try. You hope that that Rick's mechanics are appropriate, and they are. Um, and you just have to kind of find that that balance so that you can, so that you still have a fun spell and uh, you're not breaking the game. Right. <clears throat> Believe me, we've had some we've had some mistakes that we get to play through, but that's that can be fun in and of itself. Everybody who first designs their faction. Designs it overpowered. Oh, funny. Which is which is why I didn't design any factions. All I did was was oversee, you know, and, <laughs> and make sure that you know. Oh, I'm sorry, you know, those minds might be that might be a little too much, or that spell might be a little too crazy. Um, I can see that happening. Of course, you know, yeah, you yeah. Want your, you want your faction to be the best. It's just <laughs> a very natural thing, and you know, I, I have. There's another friend of mine, actually, the guy who painted that that. Sapa on the Jaguar. He and I tend to get together at night and just kind of grind through the points and the stats and the theme and the play style to try and force it. And and again, those are the hard decisions. You know, those yeah. are the ones where people aren't always. What do you mean we're not going to play this? You know, this awesome spell that I made up. Well, you know, it's not going to be fun for the other person on the other yeah. side. Well, Rick has said before, you already have the tools with your shooting attacks. Mm. You know, for most spells, most spells are, are really just like guns, but they're magical guns or they're magical enchantments, you know, and, and things like that. So honestly, you could take if you have any game that has magic, you can take any missile weapons and just call them something different and automatically they become a spell like, you know, the flaming balls spell that he had for Erewhon. You know, all it was was a triple shot of an arrow. You right. know, so and he's talked about that. It's when you get into what you're talking about is when they you try to bend the rules in some way that doesn't fit the system to where it starts becoming uh, broken down. And that is where I found like, okay, that one's overpowered. How can we simplify it or make it like this? And you just don't you don't do too many. You don't do too little. Right. You know, you probably know what I'm talking about. It's just oh, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, the thing is, you know, that spell that we're talking about for the medicine man. You, that that seems overpowered, but the truth is you have one medicine man. It's not like the Aztecs that have three mages on the field are sporting something that that's that's that uh, rule challenging, right? It's one guy. He gets one chance to cast that. You know, if you're really if you're trying to set it up, think about it. Like maybe he makes one woods. Well, that's turn one. Maybe he can move. a. Maybe his unit now runs into that woods. That's turn two. And now maybe he can make a move to another part of the board. It's not something exactly. that, you know, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of resources to set that up. And Not is it, worth it, you know, when you start, when you start thinking of it from a resource allocation, um, Anyway, so the last faction, did I talk enough about the tribal nations? So the tribal nations, um, so they're going to be using woods a lot. Uh, they are hit and run. They have uh, none of the braves per se um, are, are overwhelmingly in uh, hand to hand. 
I mean, they're good. Tomahawks are good because you can use them in exchange of missiles, uh, which is cool. Um, but they're still, they have no armor to speak of. So if they get hit, they're going to, they're going to go down. They're like glass cannons a little bit. Uh, Sasquatch, Sasquatch can put out some pain. The Wendigo can put out some pain. Um, they're absolutely not, um, unkillable. Sasquatch will go down. They have a high res, but they're going to go down. Um, and then you do have these animal supplements. Like you have the wolves, which are cool because they're fast and, and they're tough. Um, they put, I shouldn't say tough from a, from a dying perspective. They, but they just put out a lot of attacks. Um, then you have the eagles, which give you a flying element. Um, yeah, I think that's about all there is to the tribal nations right now. And I should say, you know, two things that came to mind when we were talking. One, we're going to be supplementing more units as, t as time goes on. Of course. Yeah, so, so we're going to keep releasing more stuff for these these existing factions. But the other thing is, we're not afraid to talk about errata and FAQing things when if we do screw up. I mean, we're not we're only human guys, you know. We're not um, we don't have any insight. We only have limited amounts of play time to to do your play testing. So if we screw something up, we're going to fix it. Yeah, and we're going to do it fast. Well, you know, when you are small, <coughs> when you're small like us, then you're agile and you can make those decisions and change yeah. stuff quickly. So hopefully, we can keep up with it. Yeah, I think I have always thought that would be a challenge in designing a game like this or science fiction or something like Gates is not to it's the power curve seems like you just go up really quick like. You know, yeah. World War II, you kind of got this set time frame. Now, things do get overpowered sometimes if the design isn't right. But but for the most part, there's a time period. But here, it's like, ah, I mean, you can do whatever you want. So it's not going to be hard to – because you want to always develop new things for it, right? Yeah. Warlord yeah. does, and you guys do. But it's like – does it come more in the creativity on how to use the system you have? And then, you know, this guy can deal out 50 points of damage or whatever the mm -hmm. – well, and and for people who don't know, you said res save. That's the armor save, basically. Right. I got you. Yeah. Um, if you guys didn't know that, and, and strike value takes away from your res. So right. if you strike value two, it'll take subtract from your res, and you got to roll low in this game too. So yeah. Ooh, I like that. So can you tell me real quick? Just I'm sure most people are watching, but so how does with the D10, like how does the roll to hit and save work? How's that kind of? I could, you want to take go it, Chris? No, no, go ahead. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk. I'm still listening. I have to get water. Okay. So okay. You answer that, and I'll leave the screen. <clears throat> so obviously, you're going to have. Um, I forgot what the stats called. It's been, it's been about a month. Strength. Strength. That's it. And <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I can't mute. <laughs> How funny. Who's that voice? Yes, it's me. <laughs> going to my sink. Um. You gotta roll a hit, roll to hit, and when you do, depending on what you roll, if it's a natural one, you get to choose. I don't know if that's an air one or not. I can't remember. That's in, uh, Gates of Antares. It's just a guaranteed hit. Yeah, it's a guaranteed hit, and then you allocate hits to who you're hitting. Like you can, if you roll a one, I believe you can pick the leader. Okay. Um, because you can pick drones and beyond the Gates of Antares, but in air one, I. It's not like that in air one. It's, it's, okay. it's unit to unit. So you're never really calling. Blending 
together for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. So, so you have strength is is your natural. That's your hand to hand target number. So, if you have a strength of five and there are no modifiers, then you're rolling a d10 and trying to get a five or lower yes. to hit, right? To hit, and um, if if you have a higher strength, well, so that's obviously fifty percent of the time you're going to be hitting. That's hand hand. But you also it, it doesn't have um I forgot. Dang it. See, I always gotta look it up before I play the game because yeah, yeah, sure. They 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 blend together and I've played so much more beyond the gates of Antares than their one. I'm still at the, you know, I've got enough under my belt where I know the rules pretty well, but they always blend together. I was talking about for shooting, but uh, All right. strength for shooting, there's an accuracy. The so accuracy, there's strength yeah. for hand to hand, and then there's a shooting as an accuracy. It's okay. the same same mechanic. So yeah. if I have, a, have an accuracy of five and I'm shooting at you, then I have to roll a five or lower to hit. And then you have modifiers, right? Like any other sure. game. So if yeah, if you charged in long, yeah, if I'm shooting at long long range or something, it might be a minus. So if I hit you, then mm. you get to roll kind of an armor save or your res save. If my res is five, which is pretty much a, a normal naked man, so a tribal nations guy has a res of five, then you have a 50% chance of every wound or every hit that you put of, of wounding me. And a wound is death, right? So as soon as you get wounded, you're off the board. So okay. you roll, you know, if you have if you have 10 guys and let's say your strength is six, then 60% of the time you're going to be hitting. Mm -hmm. And if I have 10 guys and I have uh, a res of five, then 50% of that those guys are going to save, right? I mean, those are the numbers you're looking at. Yeah. Does that make sense? Right. <clears throat> is, there, is there like thrown weapons closing fire for close combat in Air One? You do a round of firing first, or there is a there's what they call an exchange of missiles. Exchange of missiles, that's what it's called. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So if you're charging, uh, it, it kind of depends on the weapon. Obviously, mm -hmm. uh, if you're being charged, you can shoot bows as an exchange of missile. But if you're charging, you can't shoot bows into yeah. combat, right? Which makes sense. But if you mm -hmm. have spears, hey, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> And and we the tomahawk acts like um, a spear in a lot of ways, which oh, is it? okay. Yeah, so we kind of find that flavorful that if you're charging with tomahawks, mm -hmm. you, know, <laughs> you have the you have the you have the firing in or throwing in missiles going into close combat, then you have your close combat roll. So close combat is pretty deadly, just like bolt action. Yes, well, I was going to ask if it's as deadly as bolt action because this seems like this would be more focused on close combat, whereas bolt action is a little less so. Well, here's here's something cool. What I like about Antares and Erewhon and the way the the modifiers work. So let's say they hit you, okay, and you have a res of five. Well, okay. if they have a strike value of a two, that subtracts from your five. So now all of a sudden you got to roll a three or less instead yeah, to save true. it. Right. Oh, uh, okay. So, a lot easier to figure those modifiers because in bolt action you're rolling high, but your modifiers are minus to your roll, not to the stat. You see what I'm saying? So that's kind of how the mm. difference in the way it's designed that I love about it, because okay. you're you're subtracting from the main stat mm. rather than you know. Going yeah, that's through. pretty cool. Yeah, it okay. makes it easy. It does make it easy. And the other thing is, you know, when you're talking about that exchange of missiles going into a hand-to-hand -hand combat. <laughs> Um, if you decide to sprint, which has its own 
risk in the game. Yeah. Um, if you decide to sprint in, then any um, hits that you take during exchange of missiles have to be re-rolled. So now, you know, if your accuracy six and, and exchange of missiles actually gives you a minus one on top of that. So now my accuracy is five and mm -hmm. they're sprinting in. All right, I'm going to get 50%, you know, if, if, if the numbers match. Um, oh, now I have to roll that 50% to hit because mm -hmm. I'm, you know, the, the target is sprinting at me. So it's harder to hit. So now you, now you're down to 25%. So if you're not sprinting into combat, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> that's, that's really the way to look at it. And that kind of, doesn't that kind of make sense for the, yeah. for the, for the times? I mean, mm -hmm. it's not like you're going to march in. You don't have the same kind of, um, armor or or ranged weaponry that that you know you would have when you get into the black powder military sprint is another option you have it's a triple move right yes yeah so normally if you did a triple move you'd have to roll for a, a roll against a, a skill test to get agility yeah. and if you fail it you'll get a pin you get a pin you'll get your move correct so you're always mm -hmm. going to be able to successfully sprint you're always going to pull that off. The question is whether it tires you out and you get a pin for it. Yeah. But yeah. I got to tell you, if I'm just because it's it's like say your movement is five, which means sprinting, you're going a distance of 15 inches, right? Mm -hmm. If you're three inches away, I'm going to sprint at you into combat, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. going to risk that pin just so if you have an exchange of missiles. Yeah. Um, you you have less of a chance of hitting me now. That's if you're right. not, if you're not if you don't have an, a weapon that's going to be an exchange of missiles, well then I'm not going to risk that pin. Yeah, I use sprint a lot. <laughs> yeah, and we target. Yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta. It gets you in quick. I mean, especially if you got a uh, if you got a heavily melee army, it, it would be very um, appropriate of you to sprint first turn and risk that pin. Now. Uh, the one thing that the fire missile does, it automatically will, uh, when you're firing missiles, whatever pins you take from the firing of the missiles, you're going to have those pins in the close yeah, combat. In the ready. combat, right. So, you know. so it could be, you could be, you could say, all right, I'm going to sprint into combat. You could blow your agility saves. Now you got a pin that you're going in with. Mm -hmm. Now you're on the receiving end of an exchange of missiles. All they have to do is hit. They don't have to hurt you. All they have to do is hit. Now you got two pins going into combat, and now you're down two pins to, to potentially none before you even swing in hand to hand. You know, and when that when you start adding all that stuff up, it it really gets pretty bloody. Yeah. I mean, you're not you shouldn't expect your units to survive many hand to hand encounters, at least the humans. You know, if you got a Sasquatch, all right, you might have a little better. <coughs> Sasquatch. I mean, if I'm if I if you if I'm attacking you, Todd, with a with a single Sasquatch, you know, and I only get three or five, you know, that's your basic units. They're not big units. And then you're coming back with ten dice. Well, you got this volume of dice, you know, on your side, and and that volume will eventually break through those high res monsters. It's inevitable. Right. <clears throat> Do cool. they carry over reactions? To I'm like sorry. Shoot? reactions like reaction moves um, where you can, if somebody fires upon you, you can uh, roll to react. Is that in there? I yes, can't remember. There's, there's an ambush rule, which is yes, the ambush. Yeah. yeah. So you can, you can pull your dice and instead of actually activating your unit at that time, you can just put them in ambush. And then 
when someone within range, um, I think it's 16 inches, 16 inches uh, yeah. activates, you get to choose to go first, you know, mm -hmm. now you have to roll an initiative. That's a separate role. <clears throat> so to, to, in order to enforce the ambush. Now here's a question and this might be a tough one to answer. I don't know. It might be an easy one to answer. Uh, a lot of my warlord, uh, warlords of Erewhon complainers, uh, when they the, talk to me about Warlords of Erewhon is, as they say, it turns into one giant close combat in the middle of the table, Blood Alley. Right. You know, they, they talk about that a lot. Right. Because there's not a lot of shooty units in fantasy already as it is. Right. You know, I mean, for me, I love taking at least one or two shooty units because it's just fun, you know, to and, and, and or maybe a cannon or something when I play Erewhon. As far as Mythic Americas, do you think there's enough in it to where it doesn't become a, you know, block party in the middle of the table, as I, I would say, uh, is what's said? Um, what what are things, I mean, what kind of shooting stuff do you have besides, I mean, bows? I mean, you can throw tomahawks and spears and things like that. I mean, is it is it something you guys did different or is it kind of, I mean, what's your experience with it? Well, I mean... I, I have two thoughts about that. I mean, first of all, we're, we're leveraging ranged like anyone else in Warlords of Erewhon. So you, mm -hmm. every, every faction is going to have some kind of ranged fighting. I, I, and I shouldn't say that as a, as a, as a something that's set in stone. Cause I want to break those rules. I want, I want factions that may not be shooting. I want factions that may not have magic, but the four that we have today all have ranged attack and they all have magic. Um, and and quite frankly, I think magic uh, ranged weaponry is very advantageous in Warlords of Erewhon, just mm -hmm. by the way the mechanics work, um, because you're, you're just pushing pins. And I tend to take a lot of you know uh, small units of archers because then I can pin you down even if I don't hurt you. But here's the thing that that's going to differentiate Mythic Americas from Warlords of Erewhon from a uh, uh, you know a giant cluster in the middle of the board objectives right uh, so, gotcha. yep. so depending on the scenario you're playing depending on the secondary objectives that you're playing you cannot focus all of your resources on killing i mean mm -hmm. you have to focus mm -hmm. them on those objectives and scoring those points so whether it's it's you know pillaging a village you know and going and claiming um claiming buildings or whether it's shooting quarry that are running across the, you know, that, so, so in that, the hunt, um, you're not even, you don't have to fight the other guy at all. You know, you have to kill quarry so that you're scoring victory points. Um, now I may want to kill you so you don't kill the quarry, or I may want to kill your quarry that you're going after. I mean, there's lots of ways you can manipulate this stuff, mm -hmm. but it keeps it spread out. It, it keeps you thinking about flanks and, and um, you know, getting behind the lines. And, and the other thing that we do is we use the down order as a method to, uh, to secure an objective in a lot of ways. Like one of our, uh, one of our scenarios is to build an altar to your God, right? So you have to get into the enemy territory and then you have to take a down order in order to create this altar. So, oh, cool. I mean, a down order is a, is a pretty negative effect. I mean, you have to recover from a down order. That's a mm -hmm. resource issue. Um, so in order to secure that, that victory point, you have to put this 
unit at risk. And then when you're retrieving your dice, you know, now all of a sudden you have to treat it like a true down order and say, oh, I have to make a command check to return the die or they stay yep. down. Yep. So that's kind of cool, you know. So you end up scoring the victory points, but also kind of taxing your, your unit. <laughs> and uh, so there's those kind of things are going to keep you from just slamming into each other. Yep. Cool. And that's kind of the, uh, the, the answer I uh, expected. And that's kind of what I told people, you know, when, when they asked me about that, it's like, Oh, air one is such a, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, I say to them, so add some objectives that they have to go after. You don't have to play the book. Exactly. It's your rule book. I mean, we right. say this all the time. You bought it, make it whatever you want. Right, make it your own. Sure. And that, and that was the first thing the first thing we ran into. It was probably the only thing that we were kind of like, mm, you know, the scenarios just don't give you a lot of flavor to work with, you know. It's I, it's all kill points and I mm -hmm. much prefer to to be doing something that's a little more tactical. That that's a brilliant idea. I love that. Build an altar. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, guess what? It's very simple. And you know what you you know what the other guy can do if you build an altar in his area? You can get rid of it. You can destroy it. So. <laughs> All right. Well, fellas, we're going to use hoplites and we're going to build an altar to your. <laughs> oh, you know, speaking of which, I didn't get to talk about the Inca because. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Interestingly enough. Um, so the Inca are, uh, I would say, another finesse army. They're not as. Um, they have options, right? So one of the things, each each faction has kind of its own theme, uh, you know, like the um, the Aztecs have that undead theme. The tribal nations have the woodsman theme. The 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 Mayans have that fear theme. Um, the Inca have uh, shields, and they this is historically yeah. correct. And so they have a shield wall theme. So it's it's actually very historically accurate and they can come in and, and gain that defense from that added res because they're in a shield wall formation, whether they're ranged attackers or hand to hand, um, which is kind of cool, right? So you can, you can think of them a little more reg regimented. Um, but if you know warlords of Erewhon, that shield wall comes at a cost itself. Yeah, it does. You can't sprint when you're, mm -hmm. when you're in a shield wall. So getting into hand-to-hand -hand might be a little more difficult. So um, there are very regimented uh, – I shouldn't say very. There are more regimented um, uh, faction. They have a lot of magic, which is appropriate because, come on, Incas are cool. And they, yeah. they live in mountains and they talk to gods and stars. Um, so they have uh, their own magic. Um, some of the spells and, are, and they have alpacas. They have exploding alpacas, bro. That's <laughs> magic does outstanding. It's awesome, you know. Send that alpaca into that. <laughs> that's the oh magic. my gosh. It's that's <clears throat> a, a Nelson special, um, but it's it's just hilarious. Yes, uh, I I will take it. <laughs> no, you won't. You already called something else. <laughs> well, they're not released yet, not Jerry, so you can't take it. No, they also have. They also have um, a, a, a weapon called um, uh, an Aeolus, Aeolus, which is a bolos. 
which oh. they, can, they can throw and it doesn't do any damage per se, but what it does is it hinders the other uh, units. So you can use that to slow down the units as they're moving across the board and affect their movement. Um, and it's kind of a permanent thing unless that unit decides to take those bolos off of the affected members and they'd have to take a down order to do that. Um, another cool thing about the ALS is if you are fighting, if you're fighting flying uh, units, that's really hard because flying units are never on the ground. They can come right. in and they can have hand-to-hand -hand combat with you, but as soon as that hand-to-hand -hand combat is done, they're back in the sky. So you can't charge flying units. It's very frustrating. <laughs> You could shoot at them, but you're shooting at them, you know, with with hindrances. But with an ALIS, if you hit them with the ALIS, then they get grounded, which is kind of oh, cool. cool. It also, it, unless you're, of course, a Kamazot's monster. I mean, it doesn't work on monsters and monstrosities, but mm. on regular stuff, it 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 will bring them back to earth. Oh, and the Incas have Condor riders, so they're they have uh, dudes who are flying over birds. Yeah. Kind That's of awesome. What else? What else? That is so cool. <laughs> yeah, so they're so they're all very they all play very differently. Um, they have their own sound. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've talked to these guys about that. Is you know, I mean, you gotta have that, and it's it's so true. Nelson said that to me. Yeah. I'm not taking credit for that. It's just um that's kind of what, when I design scenarios for our games that we play here live and stuff like that, I try to make each scenario have its own sound, you know, like the one we played last night was, ah, crap. That was the sound of <laughs> that scenario. <laughs> but my Tales of Horror one was like, oh, crap, werewolves. Oh, crap, cultists, summoning things, you know. So it's, it, it, you can just, use one phrase to describe it. It's like, man, that was fun. Or, you know, yeah. oh, man, uh, you know, so that's, that's really neat. Um, gosh, we've been on here for two hours. Is there anything else you want to mention about uh, mythic Americas or. Oh, I, I, I've kind of talked out about it. I mean, I've given right. you a good sense. I hope I've given you a good sense of, of the factions um, kind Absolutely. of how the game plays a little bit about how it differentiates itself from warlords of Erewhon, although completely depending on that, the base mechanics of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, if you play Warlords of Arawan, America's is, is simple. If you play Antares, it's, yeah. you know, I mean, it's all compatible for sure. But uh, labor of love, you know, yeah. we're, having, we're having a lot of fun doing it. And people seem to, they at least like the idea. Hopefully they'll like the implementation. Oh, I'm sure they will. I mean, I've, I've, I'm, I'm absolutely sure of that. <laughs> it's just like Antares, though. You know, I tell people all the time, and Antares is a great game, you know, but whenever people look at it, they're like, oh, it's another space, you know, space game or whatever. But once they play it, Nache is contested to this. Uh, once they play it, they're like, wow, there's something here. Mm -hmm. There's really something here. And, I, and you have that itch plus that if you play it, you know what I mean? So it's kind of got the best of both worlds there. Um, and me, I, I, I mean, I, like I said, I don't just jump into something that hardcore that quickly unless I, uh, it has that, you know, it has to have that for me. I mean, that's just me, but I think once people see the models, they see how it plays, 
they're going to be into it, you know? So, but that's my take on it. So you well, guys, we're hoping that we're going to get some games streamed in the near future. I, I you know, we're trying to, we're trying to get our hands on the models, quite frankly, because they're, you know, they're still in production. So mm -hmm. we want to get the models and get some painted up. So we have some nice painted armies. Um, uh, hoping that by the time we hit around Turkey day, we'll be able to start streaming. Nelson and I are going to take, go, go against each other. So he's oh, going to cool. take the Aztecs and I'm going to take the nations. Cool. And, uh, it will be streamed here too. So once I get the models, <laughs> yeah. we'll start having them on our Friday night fights and, and our Saturday uh, after our Sunday afternoon fights and things like that. And uh, I plan on, you know, I'm in it to win it on this. So especially with that, but anyway, can't talk about that. So Chris, um, where would you, where would you stream Chris? Which uh, well, Mythico studios has their own streaming channel. They do a lot of uh, streaming now they've been on in, uh, uh, their schedule has been upset just because we've had to move locations and um, they're opening a second store. Um, so, you know, we, we got interrupted a little bit and, and maybe the pandemic interrupted. Now, is that YouTube, Twitch or? Uh, it, it's both, but I know it's okay. on Twitch. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I didn't. I've uh, been listening. Uh, we are very excited. My son is Cree and he is excited for the background. That's awesome. So that's awesome. I, I maybe, maybe the final faction will uh, have some of that Cree exposure in it. Cool. Uh, Walkabout Games is from Canada, eh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's our buddy Chris Long from Canada. Um, I'm sorry, did you say YouTube or Twitch? I didn't hear the answer. I was busy reading the Twitch. Both. I'm sure it's Twitch, oh. but oh. I know that they also stream to YouTube as well. I will search for it. Yeah, mm -hmm. it should be Mythicos Studios. Okay. And, and they have a tremendous amount of um, oh, Ice and Fire. They they were probably the top Ice and Fire stream out there. So that's what you want to look for. And then we're going to start, um, you know, injecting some Warlords of Erewhon and, and Mythic Americas. Excellent. Actually, well, there, there's one stream out there that we did for Warlords of Erewhon. And Nelson and I are actually wearing our robes for uh, my father time and his Lord Mortis robe. It's almost comical. Well, no, it is comical. It's ridiculous, but <laughs> cool. whether we'll wear our robes during the mythic America stuff or not, I don't know. Probably. It's too hilarious. It's the only way to play. <laughs> <laughs> they were more like monk robes though, Todd. They weren't, they weren't. <laughs> Whatever. Robe is a robe. All right, I like that. I like that attitude. Perfect. Well, awesome. Thanks. Uh, uh, it's, it's Chris sitting in for Nelson tonight. Um, Thanks, Chris. Hopefully we can uh, have another night uh, to where we can have Nelson on. I'd love to talk to him too. Um, but Chris, that, it was amazing that you, you were here and we were able to have this discussion because actually this is the first time I think on the show that we really dug into what everything was. So um, if you guys have any more questions, you can leave them in the comments. Um, uh, Chris, I, I, I'll have the link uh, send it to you in an email for this actual live. So in case you want to answer on YouTube, any questions that I can't, um, he will, they're glad they're great guys. They're really awesome. They really do the research. Uh, they really, 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 really worked hard on this. Uh, this game and it's really going to show. I, I really believe it's really going to show in December uh, when people start seeing things. And um, 
I, I'm looking forward to, you know, doing things with you guys, you know, uh, in the future, you know, with on our channel. So uh, it's, it was a good, good discussion. So I really appreciate it. We really sat down and had a, a, a discussion, not Jay. <laughs> You're not even too good. It doesn't always happen like that. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much for for joining us tonight. Yeah, we had we've had a consistent um, eleven people watching all night. So. Oh, that's awesome. That's um, that's pretty good. So, and that's all we got for you guys. That's our that's our ramble. Now next weekend, I did want to tell everybody there there may or may not be a ramble next weekend. I have to help my father in law next weekend. Uh, put some windows in. Uh, but if we do do a ramble, it will be on a Sunday, and we will have our foreign correspondent with us, John, John Harrington, hopefully. Huzzah. It'll be uh, during the day if we do do one. There will not be one on Saturday night or Friday night for sure because I'm leaving straight for work over there so we can hop on it at 5 in the morning when it you know gets bright out, you know. Uh, <laughs> yay me on a Saturday and hopefully get it all done Saturday. So... <laughs> I can do it. How many windows you got putting in? Eight. But we got to do the trim ah. on the inside, the outside, plus fix a part of a roof for uh, my mother-in-law or my grandmother-in-law. But uh, that's a different story, anyway. But tomorrow morning, though, yeah, you'll be fine. Tomorrow morning, we are talking <clears throat> the the Nexus. That's our uh, next adventure yes, adventure podcast. That's our Antares podcast uh, with Tim Bancroft. The uh, uh, inquisitor of, of, I guess, of uh, all things Antares. He's the uh, main writer for all the source books and stuff. He's brilliant. Uh, and the Tabletop Warlords guys who do all the battle reports for Beyond the Gates of Antares, which are great, and their drop kicks and all those guys, Kevin and Sergey. So we will have that in the morning. That's going to be Central Time, 8, uh, uh, yeah, 8 a.m. Central a. Time. Yep, 8 a.m. So uh, <sighs> hopefully I won't... Uh, Fatigue because we're, we're 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 masochists. That's oh well, whatever. <laughs> Not Jay is is uh, poured into Antares ever since this podcast. He had no interest, and I said, "Hey, do this podcast with me." And now he bought a bunch of figures. So that's how it works. <laughs> that's how it works. But uh, yep, there it is, right there. <laughs> Thanks again, everybody. Sure. Thanks again, Chris. Uh, man, it's, it's a great discussion. I had, I had a really good time. So uh, last but not least, from me to you, ta-ta, and we'll catch you in our next episode.